near the end of Matthew's Gospel, where our readings have been taken from last Sunday, this Sunday, and will be next Sunday. Matthew gives us three of Jesus' great parables. All of these are in anticipation of the great narrative of Jesus' passion and death. Last week, we heard the story of the bridegroom and the ten bridesmaids who had some problem with oil for their lamps. Next week, we will hear the great narrative of the judgment between the sheep and the goats. Those two, and this one today, are not sort of your comforting bedtime stories. They are complex, and they are more than a little unnerving to us as we read them or hear them. Like all of Jesus' parables, they are intended, I believe, to engage the reader, the listener. And we find ourselves asking, are we the ones who are prepared to meet the Lord with our lamps filled with oil? Are we the wise ones who invest what we have been given, or are we not so wise? Are we among the sheep or the goats? Well, that question we'll deal with next Sunday. So come back. At the end of each of these three parables, there is some judgment, and it sounds harsh. For there are serious consequences for those who have not understood or learned to live the teachings of Jesus. The final destiny of the five foolish bridesmaids, the goats, who were condemned, and the third servant who is thrown out into the darkness makes us sit up and take notice. The twist in today's parable sort of revolves around the use of the word talent. In the parable, on its surface, it's about the generosity of a certain person who entrusts different amounts to three servants, amounts that we are told are measured in talents, which we know to be a form of currency of that particular day. To read the parable as a lesson in economics might be one approach. And we would commend the first two servants as being diligent in their stewardship and in their service to their master. Likewise, we would tend to think less of the third person and might well agree that he deserves some kind of punishment, whatever that might be. But we must be a bit careful with such an interpretation, or we might conclude that Jesus is condoning a kind of logic that says it is acceptable to contribute to a system 
that allows some to make a living and to withhold it from others. In other words, to suggest or to interpret this parable as Jesus saying it's okay for the rich and the smart to get richer and smarter and for the poor to, well, stay poor. This form of manipulation is one of the central critiques of Pope Francis' current encyclical, where he addresses the inequities of a global economic philosophy. So maybe the word talent, which catches our attention, is because we have a different notion of what a talent is instead of a form of currency. That we consider a talent to be a kind of gift, an ability, a charism, something that comes from God, is freely given by God, because we are children of the Father, and we believe that God bestows upon us our talents. And those are not measured over against what others have, either in the number of them or in the nature of them. After all, we recall Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he says that all gifts are necessary and all gifts are of the Spirit. They are measured by what we do with them. As Paul says in today's reading, we are children of the light. We are children of the Spirit. We are children of the day. Our talents are spiritual gifts, not silver or gold. And they multiply too when we share them. So these spiritual gifts that are God's self-donation are such that they increase over and over as we distribute them or as we share them. They cause a kind of ripple effect so that they move from one person to the next, to another, yet to another. Spiritual giving enriches the giver and the receiver. And when the spiritual goodness of God is given away, there's more yet available from God. It's what God does. It flows through each one to yet another. We might see in the woman in today's uh, text from Proverbs a good model. Proverbs, that book of spiritual wisdom, of sayings and teachings that explore the relationship between God and God's people, it says that she is praised for all her good works, not just be because she is a wife, because that is her role, but because she is one of God's people who has great fear of God. And we know that the word fear in Old Testament language is a word meaning awe. She has great awe for who God is and what God does and for the need 
of those around her. So her, her ministries, we could say, her, her talents, her capacities, her charisms are shared with the whole community. She's at the gate of the city, being kind, being helpful, being of service to everyone. Selfishness is not part of her life. So if we see the, the gospel parable in this light, it begs the question, what then is asked of us so that we might come to share the master's joy? In the parable, the master gives to all of them with trust and with a generosity. The parable says, according to each one's ability, to each one's capacity, not over against each, but alongside each. Now the third servant, who wants to keep his talent safe, runs the risk of taking the Lord seriously. Because sometimes God does indeed ask us to go where we would rather not go and do what we would rather not do. And so perhaps there's always fear of doing what God calls us to do and going where God calls us to go. But behind all of that is the initiative of God, who is the great gift giver. Such is the source of our spiritual joy. Such is the source of our call to be diligent stewards with our gifts, always ready, constantly investing in the love of God. For it's good to remember that a talent buried is not a talent saved, it is a talent lost. <laughs>